we were already kind of like, okay, we know that we're not just parenting for the day. We're parenting for the life. We're parenting for the adulthood, you know? Hello, welcome to Hi Mom, Let's Talk. This is our mom and daughter podcast. I'm Ingrid, I'm the daughter, I live in New York. And I'm Vicky, the mom, I live in Los Angeles. We're figuring out life from opposite coasts. Doing our best to cultivate a raw and transparent relationship that is also generous and safe. So mom, let's talk. Hi mom, let's talk about generational friendships. Our friend, Jillian. Yeah, that's a good yeah. idea. Jillian is a friend that we've known for quite for my whole life. No, almost. I know you almost. Almost. But she is a writer, producer, director, and a wonderful mom and a friend of ours for a long time. So, Jillian, thanks for being here with us. I'm so excited to be here. When you texted me, um, the the about being on the podcast and the the conversation topic, I was like, oh my goodness, I have been preparing for 15 years for this. <laughs> right? <laughs> is, is it wait 15? That sounds about right. I think it's 15 yeah, years. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Will you tell a little bit of what you do outside of just being mom, and then we'll go into like mom conversation. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, as you said, I am a writer, producer, director. Most recently I've been working mostly as a producer director, not as much with writer, but, um, I have done that in the past and I'm working on my own stuff, of course, but generally, um, get paid to work on branded content, narrative content, um, and documentary content. So, mm. um, just finished up a web series. We're in post-production on that. And I'm in post-production on a short documentary right now about small businesses in, um, Brooklyn, that survived the COVID lockdowns of 2020. So really oh, wow. excited to get that out into the world because it's full of stories of hope um, that I think everyone could use right now. And the, wow, web series, awesome. the web series is a comedy about a, a lady in the Bronx chasing her dreams and uh, created by a Afro-Latina named Danielle Alonzo. And it's hilarious. And I'm really excited to get that out in the world, too. That one's called Bronxish, right? Yes, that one's called Bronxish. Right in, in the Bronx. That's so good. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, we have a special friendship for the generations, but I think also for me, for the, the creative side, because yeah. we... I get to look up to you and all the creative things that you and your family does. And um, that is in addition to just like us being friends. So let's tell the 15 year old story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We've known Jillian a long, long time because she came into our lives through her husband, Ryan, who my dad knew when Ryan and my dad were both small children. Yep. And then your dad babysat Ryan. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Way back when. So we're just a few years older than Ryan and Jillian. Your dad and, and my husband's parents were friends, I think. And I don't, I don't know how, mm -hmm. where that yep. friendship started. Yep. I don't remember the original story there. Yeah. They met at church in, um, in Virginia. There you go. Okay. And so. He was a middle schooler. And then years later, dad and mom are living in LA and, you know, his parents have stayed connected to the Fritchie parents and something to the effect of, hey, Ryan's coming to, to LA post-college, right? That's right. Yeah. Ryan, um, as soon as he was done with uh, college, moved out to Los Angeles and he was there when he and I started dating. And then you moved out to LA as well, like a year later too? Oh, How long no. later? Uh, I think it was, I think it was four years later. Oh, four years later. Okay. Four or five years later. And at that point, we have like a like a flip flop because then I was the small kid in the house, the same way that Ryan would have been with my dad. And I remember Jillian coming over for the first time as the new girlfriend. Who is this beautiful person in my house? <laughs> we were all starstruck, me and my sisters. Oh no! And uh, <laughs> and then you know 
that that became the friendship. You, you stayed in L.A. along a little while, right? Yeah, we were actually only in L.A. for four years, uh, maybe wow. four and a half, nearly five, um, something like that. And so and then we moved to the East Coast, moved to New York City after that. But yeah, he was there for 10 years. So you knew Ryan for he was in your life for 10 years in Los Angeles. And I think I was there for only five of those. Yeah. Still, it was wonderful five. <laughs> but they were special years. Yeah. You came in and recorded our school plays and the whole nine yards. <laughs> You're wonderful friends. And uh, then you moved to New York and fast forward a little bit longer. And my parents are doing the same thing with you that Ryan's parents did with them. Because I said, I'm coming to New York post-college. How do I do it? <laughs> Find some and you people. were so generous. <laughs> well, you said, we're the people. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. You were so generous. You let me live on your couch for a month and a half. Like proper, like proper apartment dwellers in a major city, we had a futon. It's multi-purpose. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> An extra little room. It was perfect. It was so perfect to like move to this big city in right into a family unit. I think that made all the difference for me. Mm. And uh, you were so generous. And I've told that part of the story on the podcast a million times because it's really, really central to my success in New York, I think. Yay. So just as a person. And it turned out to be this really special, I don't know, I've kind of decided to call generational friendship where I really look up to you as a creator and person just like a little bit older in life and like have a little bit more under her belt and all of, all the family dynamics of that. And then you've done the same thing with my mom. And we, we talked a lot when I lived with you about like, OK, what is parenting this person, you know, this uh, age like? We got to kind of talk all the way through it, which I don't know. That feels maybe it's not unique, but it feels unique to me. And it certainly is really special. Oh, we, I mean, Ryan, the first time he said, okay, there's a family in Los Angeles that my parents uh, knew their parents and they're there and they have kids. And I really think they're doing a wonderful job with their kids and they're important to me and you have to come meet them. And we have to watch what they're doing with their children because they're wonderful parents and we have to learn from them. This is literally wow. how he introduced wow. you before I met you for the first time. <laughs> that is really high compliment right there. So, you know, like we, you thought we were coming over to spend time. <laughs> we really were taking notes. <laughs> we, we were being, drive home and go, we were being okay, watched. that was really interesting how they said that to her. And <laughs> good to see, you, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. We love spending time with you, of course. But we really did um, come up into that with eyes wide open to watch how you parented. It's so helpful to be able to see someone uh, half a generation above you. Yeah. Yeah. You heard that as well, mom, when you young, young parents too, right? With the Hagemeyers? Yes. Yeah. We sought them out. But that, I mean, we sought out friends that had kids that were of a half a generation above. And it was nice. Uh, they were great because they had three daughters. We didn't know till after they moved. They also moved back to the East Coast. We didn't know till after they moved that mm. we were going to have three daughters. <laughs> But we had two. I think it's something that you get if you don't move anywhere. You're going to have that. You're going to have those generational friendships if you stay in one place. But what's interesting is that, you know, you know, all of us are moving to these major cities um, where we're away from our family, we're away from our context. And so seeking out that input into your life, both um, in both directions, is really helpful. Like you said, Ingrid, for the success of that new phase in your life, you know, and so not just for parenting, but also for 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 personal health. So I think it's really interesting how, you know, my husband was very much intentional about spending time with you guys, Vicky, um, and how Ingrid has been intentional about spending time with us. So it's it's wisdom. I think it's it's something that wise people do if they're moving to a new city. They find that input. It's important. 
Yeah, like we say about, you know, when you move to a a different big city or or just a different place, you lose your context. And so I think what you're describing is just like the rebuilding of your context then, which you in some ways have more agency over if you decide to take that responsibility when you move because you are like single-handedly creating what kind of context you want to live in. I I really loved when I first moved in with you guys, I loved these kind of like conversations and the eye-opening thought process that we had about parenting or just like family communication in general because I was like the middle generation there because you have small kids and then it was me and then you um, and I find it really found it really helpful honestly and reflective my own life as we talked about hey like what did your mom do when she made you lunches when you were growing up and then I got to sit back and think about oh what did mom do? <laughs> and there's so much when you're a child that you just like life just happens. And um, so I find it really helpful to talk through what's actually intentional about that. It turns out almost everything a mom does is intentional. And um, yeah, so I don't know. I wonder if we could talk through a little bit more specifically, like maybe it's a good place to start when when I moved in or maybe you have memories from a, like seeing us back in California, Jillian. Were there things, spe- specific things that really caught your eye as um, I'm going to take this into parenting for myself? Or maybe there are things even that you reflected on watching my mom parent You're like, oh, my mom must have done something similar. What were some of those original um reflections or or things that you noticed about parenting? Well, I'll start with this. I'm an only child and a product of two educators. Um, My mother was an elementary school teacher and my father teaches uh, graduate students um, at the the graduate level. And he actually spent 20 years in the Navy before that. So leadership uh, is in his blood. But I am so much of a teacher's pet (laughs) because of that, that I was, you know, just generally a bit of a goody two shoes. And so people would also often compliment my parents on the wonderful job they did. And my mother would say, oh, it was was easy, which it wasn't. But, you know, that was her kind of go-to snide remark. And then Back when I was in college, my parents started a home group with their church with the Growing Kids God, God's Way curriculum. And I happened to be there and would pop in and out when they were, were they were doing this. And at that time, their contemporaries would ask me, uh, did your parents do this with you? How did this work? And so I had already like been in that been in that phase of, you know, thinking through how I had been raised. And like, so that was already in my context of like, oh, well, you know, they didn't do that, but they did do that and, and thinking through that kind of thing. And, and I had already spoken about that experience with Ryan and, and um, his parents also kind of subscribed to the Grand Kids God's Way kind of thoughts. And, and, and we were already kind of like, okay, we know that we're not just parenting for the day. We're parenting for the life. We're parenting for the adulthood, you know? And so definitely thinking through, like coming in and watching what your parents did day to day and like how you, how you handled the tiny things you know, we didn't, we weren't like real honest in saying like, like while you were there going, okay, uh, Rick and Vicky, uh, uh, why did you do it that way? Like <laughs> we're just sitting here eating chips and guacamole. We're not going to like <laughs> digest your parent. But on the way home, we would talk about it like, oh, wonder, you know, think of, think through those sorts of things. And so when you came to New York, we had all of this like stuff we'd talked about and thought about. And, and we were like, now we can like, it's all fresh. We can ask her, okay, how did you feel about this? Like, what did this thing, you know, so we didn't have specific questions, but it was very much a, you know, oh, okay. Like we want to get your perspective on how you feel your parents did. Cause we are definitely approaching parenting from that long-term perspective. I mean, there are some days where it's like, no, right now, I just really need you to be quiet because <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I can't handle the noise right now. Just it was in a very immediate sense. It's difficult for 
<laughs> for me. Or literally, these things you've left on the floor are a danger to everybody. Put them away. You know, like they're right in front of the stairs. We could trip and fall. So that's, you know, those are immediate things. But when you think about how do you pour into somebody or how do you gently guide somebody or how do you discipline somebody in terms of correction, um, you know, thinking through the long term. So we were really excited to ask you in your fresh perspective about those things. And so I, I love that you were like, oh, Hmm. What a fun thing to think through. Um, Let me think about it. Was it was very selfish. <laughs> we were like, I just wanted to get that out of you. Because, you know, at the time we had babies, we had toddlers, we had um, little ones. And, you know, heading into that period of time when it's no more about how you nourish them with food and water. It's about how you nourish them with, with words and affection and correction. So that that's why we asked. Mom, do you, did I go to you also that like night? you know, 2019 and ask you questions or was it, I think we much must have talked a little bit about the things I was talking to Jillian about. Do you remember that? And then you came and visited, which was really special. We were all in the house together. Yeah, that was super fun. You would occasionally say, how did this, this is my memory of it. How did, how did this go? Vicky, did you have any clue at the time when Ryan and I were visiting that we were observing your parenting or was just that not even on your radar? Um, I think it, for any young couple, I mean, we're, we're obvious, <laughs> it's obvious that you're being watched. I mean, it wasn't like overt. <laughs> by any means but you know you're being watched and and if anything you know especially if you're in a corrective mode that your behavior is being watched so that's important to I mean not it's not important but it, it was something that we took into account like like not to fly off the handle in front of you guys as we parent our children or anybody but it's hard I think you've probably found that it's hard to correct your child in front of other people we always did our you know, the most of our correction we did when um, we were home alone. I think that it depends on where you are and what other people around you are doing. And I would suspect that potentially in Los Angeles, a lot of correction happens indoors, but in Brooklyn. Yes. <laughs> And New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. There is a lot of correction. Uh -huh. You just, I mean, in the city, you really can't, you can't hide because life happens outdoors. Mm. Um, and so <laughs> mm. for a while there, it was very much a try to hide everything and, and, and do the correcting inside. But literally when your child doesn't understand that running into the street is dangerous, you have to correct. And sometimes in those situations, you have to raise your voice because they don't get it right away. Three-year-olds don't get it right away unless you are stern yeah. and, you know, forceful that no, you cannot run into the street, you <laughs> know, like that sort of idea. And so, yeah, I understand the kind of you're not going to fly off the handle in front of us. And certainly when people are over, the tone of my voice might be a little bit softer than it is when people aren't, <laughs> might be a little bit softer when people aren't <laughs> present. But. Um, there definitely is a lot of correcting. I overheard I overheard um, a mother once at the playground yell at her son. Literally, this is what she said. Don't hit your sister. You're not her father or something like that. I think it might have been, might have been don't hit your brother. Welcome yeah, to Brooklyn. Like it, was, it was very much Brooklyn, Italian family or whatever. But I was yeah, like, yeah. oh, OK. All right. That's the context we're in here. We're a little open about um, open about how we're correcting our kids, but um. our lives in general. That's so true of New York. That must have been a huge difference from growing up in Nova Scotia. Mm. You know, in Nova Scotia and in Newfoundland, where I spent uh, a few more of my growing up years than the Nova Scotia. Um, well, I'm. 
actually, yeah, a little bit more in Newfoundland than Nova Scotia. Similar context. It's very much uh, the village raises the child. And so um, I was corrected by my parents' friends. I was corrected by my aunts and uncles. I was corrected by whatever adult was in the room if I needed correcting. And so a lot of that parenting happened collectively. And, you know, obviously, you know, you say, you know, like a director has a final cut, parents have the final say. But there was definitely in that kind of situation, you get to see it. You get to see other people being parented. And I think that's, you know, where we talked about when you're moving to a big city, you're away from your family, you're away from your context, seeking out that sort of life phase if you don't have it. Um, is very helpful because there's so much that we learn tacitly and you can't read it. You can't really, I mean, reading the book doesn't really help if you're not seeing it in practice, you know? So Mm -hmm. a professor of mine used to call it something to hang your hat on. So you can have the knowledge, which is the hat, but if you can't hang it on the perceived experience, then it's, it's hard to, to really put it all together. You know, uh, it was really, I mean, just super helpful, helpful for Ryan and I to, before we had kids, be perceiving what that sort of looked like. And we're, we're using those things. We still talk about what you guys do. Because, um, you know, <laughs> we are, we recognize that the children we are parenting will become adults. And, and uh, we're, you know, they talk about teaching to the test and, and you, do, you don't want to do that. But we are parenting to the adult. We see the whole context. We're still watching you, Vicky. <laughs> Such a great philosophy. I um, teach parenting classes here. And so I read a lot of parenting books now just to um, bone up on the research, the latest research in the past 20 years since I was a parent of young kids. Um, so one book that I uh, refer to often, even on this podcast, is How to Raise an Adult. And you're using that phrase left and right. And I don't I even haven't. know if you've ever heard of I've that book. I've never heard of that book. <laughs> I just, yeah. So it's it, yeah. In it, I don't know if it is across the country. I know it's a very it's like a na- national New York Times bestseller. But um, it's I in the context where I live in California, people read parenting books, and I live with us famous psychologists in my midst right here in town. So people read their parenting books as well. But when I talk to people on the East Coast, they're like, "There's no guide to this. People are doing it on their own." And I'm like, "So what I've experienced out here." <laughs> But I didn't read as many books. Well, I read a lot of books when I was a new parent because I just was trying to piece together my philosophy and took a little bit of this and then like, oh, not that. I don't like that. And maybe this. And But definitely seeing it in practice is very different. It definitely is a way to hang your hat. So far, a lot of these conversations are, of course, you know, like Jillian looking at mom and the way she parented me. But the beauty of this generational friendship is that I, of course, am doing the same thing with you, Jillian. And I think that we could also like really glean two sides of of the way that you are living your life. One, I just loved being in your home with your kids. This is like not my my stage of life yet, but I, I was always struck by the like freedom of creativity that you and Ryan give the kids that is like so, so yes and of you to use an actor's phrase, you know, <laughs> just like from the beginning is like is a is, is a yes. Yes to whatever you're saying. Yes to whatever animal you're going to be today. You know, like yes to to all of those things first. And then like the parameters are for safety and for like looking out for other people's interests, but they aren't for, I don't know, like curbing one's reality, I don't know, which I really love. And the other thing that we talk about is the fact that, of course, you moved away from your mom when you were a young adult and continued your relationship long distance, which is exactly what mom and I are doing now. And I remember you telling me a story when I lived with you 
I don't remember the exact context, but it was you're like describing maybe the first time that you remember your mom calling you and asking you for advice and it being like a, oh my God, you're asking me tables have turned. <laughs> and I think it was something small. It was like, what furniture should I buy next? You know, but are, are there things that, that you have discovered in the last however many years of living far from your mom that have been helpful in the ways that you have like stayed connected or what kind of how's your relationship shifted post living in the same city? So I was always very independent and happy to leave the nest and go wherever and travel the world. Um, I haven't traveled the world, but (laughs) I wanted to travel the world. Um, And, you know, she was the one that recommended the university I ended up attending, um, which was a full days worth of flights away from where she lived, but, and where I met my husband. But at the same time, there was very much a sense of, okay, we have to speak every week or I'm going to have difficulties, she would say, you know, so I have to, I have, she was like, literally, she would just be frank with me. Like, um, I can't handle it if I don't speak to you at least once a week, you know, when I was in college. And so that was early on, I understood that she absolutely needed to have me in her life in some way and somehow like to figure it out. And thankfully, you know, at the time we had a good relationship. So it's not like I needed to get away from her or that sort of thing where a lot of college students feel that way. She has been a friend and and, um, always was a friend, but we were navigating that transition. Yeah, we were transitioning from being mother-daughter to being friends. And I was, of course, enjoying my newfound freedom in college. And I didn't, I don't think I really had a grudge about having to call her every week, but as someone who's like, go, 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 it was like, oh, right. Okay. I have to stop and and have this time with my mom and and catch up on them. And, um, sometimes I could get away with just giving them newsy emails, (laughs) but yeah, no, it was very much from that point on, like I literally, I, it was just an unwritten rule or a stated rule that we forgot was stated, but it would just, I speak to my parents, especially my mother, at least once a week. Did you have a schedule that you did it? It was more like kind of a biological internal sort of, I guess it's time to talk. Either I would call them or she would call me or whatever. It's like, you'd be like, you know, it's my weekly (laughs) check-in, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And I think, you know, being an only child is part of that. Maybe that's just my personal perspective. But once I have adult children, I'm sure it's not going to be. It's going to no. It's just that you're you're a mother and you want to know how your kids are doing. Um, Vicky, you can probably speak to that now that you have all these lovely adult ladies in your life um, that you know you want to check in with all of them all the time. So mm-hmm. you know, at the time, I was like, ah, it's just because there's only one of me. But I'm yeah, starting to realize it's no because I love you and I want to know what's happening. <laughs> so going on from there, you have different phases, you know, because uh, you know after college you definitely are like, all right, I'm on my own. Um, I went, got a master's degree. I worked independently, um, at a, I got my first kind of major job, um, out in Vancouver across the country. And, um, we continued that kind of weekly check-in. How are things going? What's going on? What's the news? You know, what, what are your challenges? What are your successes? Please tell me things. And, um, you know, I always say my, my mother was my best audience because, I'd love to call her up and tell her things that I did and, and, and have her you know cheer me on. So that became really helpful and useful for me. And then, of course, we moved to Los Angeles. I think there's there's something unique in that. Like, I just kept getting further and further away <laughs> um, with, like, crazier and more exciting things that were happening. I moved to Los Angeles. I lived in Hollywood. I was working on movies. And it's like, what's going on? Like, she really wants to be interested and invested and, and, and figure things out, you know, and help me. And I'm, I'm getting married. And when are you having babies? You know, it's like all of that. She's just so um, wants to know. Um, So there was definitely a maintained connection there. And but 
I think what happened at one at some point is that I started having some health problems and she got concerned. And so her concern, um, when it came through to me, felt like judgment. And so I started feeling judged. And so my re- reaction to that judgment was a little bit of pushback, a little bit of, I'm doing fine. What's, what are you, you know, like I, we didn't really address it directly, but it was very much (sighs) misunderstanding. And at that point we started, every time she would visit, we had at least one fight, you know, and I loved her dearly and she loved me. And there was still, Hey, what do you think I should do with this furniture? But, um, every time we were in person together, there was at least one fight. And it wasn't until the birth of my second child, um, when we had some sort of tiff, when we were getting ready to go to the pediatrician when he was a week old. And later that night, we sat down together and I was like, what's going on? Why is this happening? And and we had this huge, long conversation where she explained where she was coming from with what I perceived was judgment. And I understood at that point, I finally understood her heart, which was concern out of love, you know, and, um, I think she also understood she didn't know why she was so like uptight about stuff. And so she finally understood that oh, it's because I just don't see that you're, I, I perceive that you're not happy. And, you know, cause she felt like I was forcing smiles and that sort of thing. And, and literally I was in a, a, a health crisis and the health crisis was causing mental health issues as well that, uh, I feel much better now, thankful to um, some great doctors who have helped me navigate this health situation and and the the health issues that were causing mental health symptoms uh, are definitely being rooted out and it's good now. But at that point, I was like, oh, and here's how your concern makes me feel and why I push back this way. And so we had this huge, you know, conversation about these like motivational intentions about how we were communicating with each other. And after that, that was, um, 2014 after that, no more fights, no more fights. I understood. I understood at that point, like what's going on. So after that, and of course, when you have your own babies, you finally understand the sacrifices your mother made, (laughs) the, the love and the selflessness that was poured into you. You're like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry for every problem I ever brought to you. I'm so sorry (laughs) that I didn't eat those carrots. I'm so sorry that I stayed up late that one night. I'm so sorry. You know, it's just like, and you know, the overwhelmingness of that feeling does fade as your children get a little older, but um, you definitely have a new perspective on what your mother was able to do for you. And so um, after that, coming out of that kind of perpetual postpartum period with the second child and, and starting to have actual older children to, to, um, parent, it was a lot easier to relate to my mother, to communicate with my mother. And we went from talking once a week to uh, almost every day, I would have a text from her and, um, or a call or a FaceTime or a visit. And if it wasn't, but almost every day, there was some form of communication and visits were wonderful. And no, like I said, no more fights. So I don't know if I answered the question, but that's our story. Um, how did that's we- a really, really beautiful story. That's so powerful. We talk often about coming, you know, finding the heart of of uh of our intentions and communication and uh the the importance of you know like getting to a place where you can put yourself in the other person's shoes but that isn't ever easy for sure and 
any of those conversations we've had on the podcast include like, all right, so sit by yourself and journal for a long time or like something to that effect first, you know, it's like, get to know yourself, find a way to be vulnerable in a safe space with the other person, then have that conversation. Like the, that's like, I don't know, it's like the height and depth of loving interpersonal work. And it's it's just a powerful story that it's I really resonate with those kinds of like hard miscommunication moments, incredible um, gift on the other side doing doing that hard work. I'm really grateful for that conversation we had because the last seven years were just wonderful in terms of our mother daughter relationship and our friendship. It was really hard to lose her. I know where she is. <laughs> it's like I didn't misplace her. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But it's it's very strange now not getting texts and not getting uh, a FaceTime call and, and some days feel different because Wait, I didn't get a text from my, my mother today. She's been gone about seven months now. Mom, what is that that story? What did that bring up for you in our, I don't know, I it, it was impossible not to also reflect on our relationship listening to Jillian's story. The difference, what comes up for me is the difference in expectation with regard to technology. How in your, Jillian, in my life, um, the way we communicate and the frequency that w- with which we communicate has changed so much. When I went to college and for the generations before when I went to college, and I think when you went to college, we communicated on via telephone pretty much, and then mobile phones became a thing. But not every all everybody had mobile phones, and you use them for emergency, <laughs> <laughs> not for not for uh, just general conversation. Was it around two thousand eight when the iPhone came out, when texting started to become a thing, and that totally changed the nature of the way. We communicated. Before that, I guess people sent emails for a season. But even that in my young parenting years was not uh, the way we communicated. So it would have been by uh, phone call. And I remember there was something in me resistant to being uh, regular and routine about, you know, setting a schedule of calling my parents. My brothers did. My brothers called their parents every Sunday and my parents told me that and I was I don't know if the like the subtle message was could you please call us every Sunday also <laughs> they didn't ask me to but um so I didn't call them routinely but we we of course interchange communication more oftenly or more often now and the interesting difference is like the asynchronous text communication versus the synchronous phone call or FaceTime communication and um so but with my daughters with Ingrid we we've always lived with that since Ingrid was 13 she got her first telephone and it was uh <laughs> the old put punch in a few letters at a time on the keypad yeah so ironically our leash seems a lot shorter it's a lot uh, easier to connect. And yet there's opportunity for disconnect if we make assumptions or if we start to tell ourselves stories in our mind about what is my daughter's motivation for not getting back to me or getting back to me. So sometimes we have to clear up those intentions and and really explore, become aware of, I need to become aware of how I feel and where is my motivation coming from and what is going on here that I'm ornery with my mm-hmm. child. That's sort of similar to what you, just the way that you described, Jillian, like your mom also having to come to like, why am I feeling this way? I go, yeah, it's, it's both. How, how do I feel? Why do I feel this way? And then 
Let's bring it to each other. I'm re- reading, learning about the Enneagram, and I don't know if you guys have discussed the Enneagram previously on your podcast, but I didn't uh, come into understanding of it until after my mother passed. And I feel like if I had understood her her type, and if she had understood her type, and if she had understood mine, um, she probably mm-hmm. understood mine better than she than I do even. But um, if we had been able to talk about that, I think that would have helped both of us with empathy earlier. There are other strength finding uh, tests that we did and, and that sort of thing that, that really helped with empathy um, at a shallow level. But I think being able to discuss that previously would have been helpful. Um, you know, my daughter is nine now, going back to the the communication modalities. Um, and she's been like, when can I have a phone? My friends have a phone. Can I have a phone? <laughs> and so Ryan and I are discussing that. Like, what? how at what point um, should we get her her own phone? Um, you know, her friends have it, but like, that's not, we don't parent her friends, we parent her. You know, do we feel that she's ready? What At what point do we need her to be um, reachable? And so uh, it's interesting to hear. I'm like, I'm going, okay, Ingrid got her first phone at 13. Take Good notes. Know. I will let my daughter know that Ingrid got her first phone at 13. <laughs> And her sisters, who came around four and six years later. Yeah, her youngest sister had an eye touch, so she was able to text if she was on Wi-Fi, which was good at that point because she had such older sisters so that they could have a little bit of a chat with each other and keep um, a relationship going. Ingrid had gone off to college, so we valued her being able to have that instant chat opportunity, but we didn't really see the need for a telephone. It's a little different. When our kids were little, everyone still had landlines. And so the cell phone was a bonus. Now most people don't have landlines. So being able to connect uh, with your child, unless if I was sending my kids to school these days, I would make sure the school had a landline that I could connect with my child in the event of an emergency. I mean, you know, just you think about those safety things. If my school didn't have a landline that I could connect with to get in touch with my child, then I would probably get my child a cell phone sooner. So, but I think most schools these days still have landlines. So yeah, that was, that was my philosophy there. This has been a really wonderful conversation. Thanks for winding all of the paths from young children all the way up to like much more recent and heartfelt stories about moms and daughters. Really appreciate you, Jillian. Well, my children love Miss Ingrid. They <laughs> love whenever they can visit Miss Ingrid or when Miss Ingrid can come visit. They just think the world of you. And I imagine someday Olivia is going to be watching you parent. I hope so. <laughs> mm, maybe she'll be a babysitter. She can come <laughs> post-college to wherever I'm living and stay on my futon as well. Yay, sounds good. Oh, I'm Thanks for talking to, to us, Jillian. You guys, I, I love your podcast. And the kids actually have enjoyed listening to it as well. They love hearing Miss Ingrid talk and <laughs> silly little things you talk about, like making soup and <laughs> that yes. sort of stuff. Yeah. We look for those. I love we it. look for those podcast to listen to but thank you for inviting me it's delightful to spend time with you guys and um i always love talking about parenting so awesome treat all right well have a good day everyone you too bye bye thank you for listening to hi mom let's talk if you liked hanging out with us please rate and review us on itunes we'd love to hear your feedback and your support 
You can find more relationship tools on our website, HiMomPodcast.com. If you'd like to suggest a topic or share your own story, you can DM us on Instagram at HiMomPodcast or write us through our website. Special thanks to Sienna Ryder for editing our podcast. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you soon.